Good morning, everybody. You can have your seats. It's so good to be in the house of the Lord. Oh, oh no, oh no. Oh dear, I will probably need some help here. Sorry. Um, okay, um, not used, obviously, very noob at being up here. Um, thank you, Pastor Aaron. Thank you so much. Um, Yes, today we are talking about fighting the good fight. And uh, my name is Pastor Kim. Uh, for some of you, you may not know me because I'm not on stage as often. As you can tell, I'm not uh, very comfortable being on stage because I'm usually at the back end. So I actually pastor this thing called My SIBKL Journey or MSJ. And I mainly deal with visitors. So if you have visited SIBKL within this whole 2023, you probably got a WhatsApp or an email from my Myself, uh, I'm that Kim Lian that writes to you in case you didn't have a face. Um, and also, I also take care about uh, the, some of the Christian education as well as the leadership training uh, that happens uh, for us. Thank you so much, uh, dear pastor. Thank you very much. Um, okay, and so um, I also take care of young, fam uh, young parents, uh, mainly par uh, parents that have children less than six years old. So I shepherd sheep that are usually distracted and I usually shepherd sheep that lack of sleep because young parents, right? So that, that's my ministry. But today, I hope I have sheep that are not distracted. I have sheep that are excited for the Word of God. Amen? Okay, so I'm going to go into my uh, topic, which is fight the good fight. Let me just get a, a, a water first. Now, what is fight the good fight? I think most of us, if you've been in a Christian cycle long enough, you hear the word fight the good fight, right? It's like, wow, fight the good fight. Sounds very nice, very interesting. But have you ever asked yourself, uh, is there such thing as a, a, a not good fight or a bad fight, right? Have you ever asked, what, what, what does fight the good fight? And is, is there such thing as fight a bad fight or a not so good fight or is there a fight that we're not supposed to fight okay so what is this good fight what is the fighting that they're talking about does it mean that we have to go and wage war on people uh, fight fight everything fight everybody um, I, I just want to make it clear we're not talking about fighting people uh, we're gonna go into what actually it entails fighting the good fight okay so we start off with the word fight what does the word fight here mean okay let's see if this is moving um, are we seeing fight the good fight? Yes, okay, I have the screen. Fight, the, the word fight comes from the Greek word agonizomai. Now you hear the word agonizomai. Um, the word that comes uh, to most of us is to hear the word agony, right? So when you hear the word, uh, that's where the Greek, uh, English word, the root word agony comes, agonizomai. And so it actually means to struggle, to compete for a prize, to contend with an adversary, or to endeavor to accomplish something. Now, most people, you know, scholars say, you know, when he talks about fight, is he talking about like in the imagery of a sportsman? I think somewhere wrong, you read about Paul, he says, I fight the good fight, you know, like he talks about a sportsman, you have to discipline your body and all that. But there's also another part that says the fight they're actually talking about is in a military sort of sense, which means that when you fight in, in war and military, it's not like Okay, if we don't win, also okay. When you fight in a war, it's like you have to win, right? It's a battle of life and death. So I believe that most scholars say that this fight, this fight, the good fight that he's talking about is, is sort of a military sense, which says that when you fight this good fight, it's not about, okay, if I don't win, also it's okay. It's, it's very urgent and you need to fight the good fight. Now, I know some of us, when you hear the word fight, uh, it sounds very like, tiring, very exhausting. And then we hear about all the wars in the world. We have been hearing about the wars in the world and we think like, not nice, it's not, not a good thing, not a good thing to fight. But I want to say that there are sometimes, there are certain battles that we need to fight. And so, what is the good fight? We need to know what is the good fight. Otherwise, we'll be fighting everything under the sun instead of what God has called us to fight. And what is the good here? What does the good mean? Is that a good fight? What is the good fight? So in, in uh, the Greek, the good, the good here actually just means something that is valuable, something that is excellent, something that is worthy. So when we say fight the good fight, it means fight for something that is worth fighting for and something that we should fight well. So what does this good fight entail? Um, sorry, did I go back? Yes. So what are the three things that I've caught? Even as I read 1 Timothy 6, we're going to be going into 1 Timothy 6. What are the three things that I glimpse that Paul is telling Timothy and the church of Ephesus to fight? The first one, he says, fight false teachings. I'm going to go a little bit onto it. And then he talks about fight 
the love of money. And finally, he goes to fight for what we were called for, right? So what is the good fight? Fighting these three things, the good, the false teachings, the love of money, and fighting what we are called for. So now I'm going to go into Scripture, and I'm going to turn to 1 Timothy 6, okay? Uh, some of you, you, if you have your digital Bibles, you can turn there. I have it on screen, but if you want to put your pause on the Bible right now, you can also turn to it. And what I'm going to make you do is what I made the second service do. I'm going to get you all to stand up, and I'm going to get you all to read the whole big chunk of chapter 6. Now, all of you, please stand up. Yes, there's, there's a reason why I'm getting you guys to stand up, because um, we're trying to fight uh, tiredness, sleepiness, and um, reading the Word very uh, flippantly. So I want you all to feel the Word, and as you read it, we're going to read it together, and it's a whole big chunk. Like some of us, we think like, wow, we try to read the Scripture as fast as possible and get to the message, right? No, I think the main part, or the more important part, is actually reading the Word. So I would like you all to read First Timothy 6, 3 through 5, uh, there are a few slides, okay? We'll continue. When I, when I tell you if it's ended, it's ended, okay? We shall read. Ready? One, two, three. These are the things you are to teach and insist on. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. They have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses, in the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. I charge you to keep this command without spots or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ which God will bring about in His own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable life, whom no one has seen or can see. To Him be honour and might forever. Amen. It continues. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, not to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Timothy, God, what has been entrusted to your care. Turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have departed from their faith. Amen. You made it. You may be seated. 
Hallelujah. Let me just start with a word of prayer. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. I thank you, Lord, that you are in the house and that every word that is preached out will have authority because it comes from you, not from me. So, Lord, may you use me as your vessel to say what needs to be said, no matter how uncomfortable it may get, no matter how encouraging it is. However it is, Lord, may it be a rima word to each and every one. And I pray, Father, Lord, give me focus and give me conciseness. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, um, we are at 1 Timothy 6. I made your read a big chunk. Amen. Very good. Because I felt like every single portion is so important. So I felt like, wow, we need to read everything, right? I don't just want to pick up certain portions. I will highlight certain portions for the sake of time. Uh, but I, I thought it'd be good that we read the whole thing. Okay, so the first thing, as I mentioned, the first thing that Paul tells Timothy is to fight the good fight. Uh, fight the good fight, which is to fight false teachings. Now, I know a lot of you are thinking, okay, this is Paul telling Timothy, so maybe the focus is on Timothy, who is going to be the, the church leader for the church of Ephesus. Uh, maybe it's got nothing to do with me, but I just want to submit to you that today, everything that I share with you is not just for the leaders of the church, but it's for each and every one of us, okay? So fighting false teachings is not just the responsibility of the church, but now it's actually the responsibility of everyone. And I'll explain a little bit why it's important. Now, the, if we look at 1 Timothy 6, not just in the last chapter, uh, the last chapter, chapter 6, that he talks about false teachings. But if you have been coming to our sermons, uh, week in, week out, since we started the book of Timothy, it's talking about, they talk about false doctrines, false godly chatter, um, and all that old wives' tales. So I think you've, you've been hearing about the sermons. And, and then here we see Paul repeats again, um, why, talking about all these false teachings. And I think he needed to repeat it because it is so important. Because I think that sets the ground for our faith. If you don't have the right teachings and if you follow teachings that oppose the teachings of Jesus, you will find that, that all things will go haywire, right? So that's why I think that Paul is, is very serious about false te teachings and he tackles it. So specifically in 1 Timothy 6, 3-5, you read, he says, is anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound doctrine of our Lord Jesus, uh, to godly teaching they are, then he goes on to spell out, you know, they're conceited, la, this, la, that, la, all the negative things. And then he says, people of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Now, it, it's, 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 he's telling us that it has come so bad that when you have been robbed of the truth, so much so that it comes to a point where you even can dare pervert godliness into a financial, personal means of gain. So that is what he's trying to say. And I know when you think of um, false teachings, the first thing you think about are kind of the doctrines that we have today, like, like uh, uh, prosperity gospel, the hyper-grace theology, all these things like... These are the kind of things that we think about, all these false teachings. And we think, oh, this is the responsibility of the church. Ah. Make sure ah, the pulpit, ah, theology is right. Ah. And we focus a lot about that. And I, I agree, the pulpit must have solid, proper teaching, which is why every time I come up to the pulpit, I tremble with fear because I, I'm nervous, right? And as we know that when you, when you teach, right, you, you're given a trust. So to some extent, I have the attention of so many of you listening to me, so I have to be very sure what I'm saying. And that's why my authority always comes from the Word of God and not just from what I think. And so, you know, we got to teach. It is very important that we get the teachings right because if you don't have the teachings that's right, it can creep into your mind and subtly, without you realizing, you will live a life that opposes Jesus' teaching. Now, you may not oppose the fact that Jesus is the Son of God and He was raised and that Jesus is God and all that. You may believe all that. But the other teachings that Jesus tells us, like Jesus tells us to love your neighbour, uh, all these love your enemy, bless them, everything, you start beginning to have your own teachings and you start swaying when you don't have proper, strong doctrine. And so that's why the Bible says, you know, you the only way we can be transformed is by the renewing of your mind. Because the fight, most of the time we think, oh, we got to fight uh, what is being taught in the pulpit, we got to fight this, fight that. But actually, the fight, most of the time, happens in our minds. And I'll tell you why it's happening in our minds. Because these days, you don't have to just hear false teaching from a church or any other organization. 
If you turn on your Instagram, your TikTok, or even what you watch on TV, TV programs, they subtly weave in things that oppose the truth of the Lord Jesus. And these are what I mean by we have to, it, it, that means it, it's relevant to all of us. If you have internet access, if you have TikTok, if you have IG, if you watch TV, if you watch Netflix, you have to be careful of false teachings. Gone are the days where false teachings is just about, oh, they're perverting the, the gospel and everything. But nowadays, false teachings can come very subtly through the agendas that come from our TV programs. And so some of us are like, wow, very scary. Huh? Like that, don't need to watch TV, lah. don't need to uh, surf the net and all everything. No, no, right? It's quite impossible, right? Sometimes you don't even want to go into false teaching, but you can't help it because it's bombarding you. And that's why I believe it, it, it is a fight. Sometimes it is a fight because we are paraded with false teachings every day. And I know some of you are thinking, that, that how, how uh, do I just be a hermit and, and stay in a cave and, and not know about anything happening? No, no, I, I don't think that we are called to be in this world, right? But not off the world. But so I believe that Paul actually prescribes the antidote. He actually says, flee and pursue godliness. And in verse 11, he says, but you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue godliness. And you know, a lot of us, when we say, when we talk about fleeing, a lot of us think, oh, the only time I need to flee uh, is when there's sexual temptation. And then we say, well, I see Joseph said, flee, flee, flee. But I let you know that even when there is false teachings, you need to flee from all this. And not just flee, but you need to pursue godliness. Now in 1 Timothy 4, I rewind a bit for what Paul says. Remember I told you it's not just in 1 Timothy 6 that he talks about false teachings. In 1 Timothy 4, he gives you the clue. He says, have nothing to do with godless myths and old wives' tales. Rather, train yourself to be godly. Now, I'm not going to talk too much about training in godliness because yesterday, uh, my hubs uh, preached in service one. He preached all about training in godliness. So he talks all about godliness. So I'm not going to dwell so much about what it means to train in godliness. But I'm just going to summarize a little bit what training in godliness may look like to all of us. I believe training in godliness is our spiritual disciplines. Spiritual disciplines. What do I mean by that? I, I believe SIBKL, we, we really, really, on top of the fact that we, we believe in generations and we believe about outreach and, and SSS, Sabah, Sarat, Smananjong, we also take very, very uh, much care about the spiritual disciplines. What are spiritual disciplines? Spiritual disciplines would be like the Word of God and prayer, coming to church, coming to service together, congregative. Remember Hebrews says, do not give up meeting. We should not give up meeting. That is the Word of God. Don't let what the internet tells you and, and uh, oppose the teachings that is in the Bible. And, and what else is the spiritual disciplines? Is uh, evangelism, is, is giving to the Lord, giving to the poor. All these things are our spiritual disciplines. And in fact, you know, um, it's so important, spiritual disciplines. Uh, my little children, I have two kids, three and five, and I always remember uh, my three-year-old, every time he comes back from children's church, kudos to the children's church, right? You're doing a good job. My little kid comes and he always sings this to me. He says, read your Bible, pray every day, pray every day, pray every day. Read your Bible, pray every day so you grow, grow, grow. That's a three-year-old saying that. But how about all of us? If the three-year-old, you know, they, they've been doing this Bible devotion, I think, I tell you, it's really, really next level. The children ministry, they are growing and they're, we are, we're encouraging them to know the Word of God. So if your children are knowing the Word of God, parents and grandparents, you must know the Word of God. You must be ahead of them. So you must really, really know the Word of God. Otherwise, it, it's going to be difficult, right? If your child knows the Word of God better than you. So I, I always have to keep up with my child. So you've got to train in godliness, okay? So the reason why we need to train in godliness, like why is it not enough for just come to church and then listen to a few good sermons? Why is it not enough? Why is it important to belong in the church? Because sometimes we can read the Bible and have our own internal interpretation. Some of us, we read the Bible, we interpret ourselves. And if you're not belonging to a body of Christ, you're not going to sell, you're not going to church, you just believe what you think the Bible is telling you. It's very dangerous. 
So you need to belong so that there is accountability, so that you have fellow Christians that, you know, that can help you along the way if you have erroneously believed certain things about the Bible. And so we need each other to challenge each other so that we may believe in the truths together. And I, and I believe that the, the Bible is, is so important to know. You cannot just sort of know the Bible. You have to really, really know the Bible because I tell you, false teachings are so subtle these days, they're not blatantly telling you, rebel against God. They are very subtle. They, they, they share it in such a subtle way that you don't even know it's false doctrine. You don't even know it's false. And that is why it's so easily to be de deceived. And in the Bible, it says, in the end days, people will itch to hear what they want to hear. And that is why it propagates false teachings. You know, we, we, last time we used to say, right, maybe at that time, in Timothy time, uh, not so illiterate, lah, so they cannot read the Bible for themselves, so that's why they get into false teachings. But today, we all have the Bible in our hands, Mostly all of us can read, we are literate, we can read. But yet, why is there still rise to these false teachings? I think because we only know the Bible to a certain extent, and, and we, sometimes we try to put God into what we think God should be. So the Word of God must, must convict us. The Word of God must challenge us. And the Word of God must sometimes sound a little offensive. Because if not, you're not wrestling with the Word of God and it becomes quite dangerous. So you need to train yourself to be godly, right? You cannot depend on your knowledge of reading the Bible a long time ago. You have to keep training yourself to be godly. And it says here again at the end of 1 Timothy 6, he reiterates again, not just flee, but turn away from godless chatter and opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge. Now, we live in a society and apparently we are more knowledgeable than the society before and apparently we are more progressive. You know, nowadays we say, oh, we're getting more progressive. You know, humans can do AI. We're, we're getting smarter and we have more knowledge in our hands. But does having more knowledge in our hands manifest and show us that the world is getting to be a better place? Is the society getting to be a better place? Is the community better? Uh, uh, but I, I, I see like there's some sort of like, that's like, you know, it seems like we have more knowledge. Shouldn't we be getting better? But yet, on one hand, we see the societies are just getting worse. We have more people committing suicide. We have more mental illnesses. We have more problems and so many more problems to the point where sometimes we have to be very careful when we say knowledge, right? Sometimes we can be very knowledgeable but we must be careful that this knowledge does not oppose the truth of God. And sometimes it is a fight. It is a fight because if you're a Christian, I don't know if you have dialogued with sometimes non-Christians, they usually tell you that, you know, your faith are very archaic, uh, old-fashioned, not, not to the trend, not to the, the world. The world has moved along, but the Christian still, uh, you know, they just keep following the old-fashioned style. And they think some of the word of God, you can just ignore uh, this part. This part just cut off. La. Only, only read the part that is encouraging, all the blessings only. But no, I, I just want to show you and tell you that every part of the Word of God is important. Right? Every single portion of the Word is important and therefore, do not think that, you know, it's, it's so easy to just, you know, if you live in a society, you will find that sometimes people accuse Christians of being bigots. Like, oh yeah, you're so bigot. Uh. You're, you're all just, uh, uh, only, only know your, your Christian faith. Uh. You don't know what is the world. They, they usually say these things. And sometimes, as Christians, we can be tempted to kind of say, yeah, la, maybe, uh, quite true. La. Maybe love is no such thing as hell. Maybe love is, God is so loving that He accepts all kinds of things. He permits all kinds of things. And then we actually just go into a trajectory where to the subtly, we are opposing what Jesus says in His Word. And that's very scary. So we need to flee and we need to pursue godliness and be careful what is falsely called knowledge. Amen. And I, and I think that um, apart from knowledge, I won't talk so much about false teachings because I know that yesterday and a few sermons ago, we talked so much about false teachings. But what I want to get in is to fight the love of money. And actually, Paul uses a very big chunk of, his, of, of this, the letter to talk about the fight for the love of money. Now, why, why love of money? Why so many things he can talk about, right? Like fight the good fight, fight reading more Bible, fight going more church, fight doing more evangelism. Why, why fight the love of money? 
I believe because money is a very important thing in each of our lives. And money actually signifies a lot of things. To some of us, we think like, oh, money is just money lah. But actually, let me submit to you that money actually signifies a lot of things. Um, it signifies power. It signifies, some, for some people, identity. So some people, stability. For some people, it's their hope. And for some people, it's the welfare of my family. Now let's just be honest. Most of us won't go around saying, ah yeah, I'm a lover of money. And we tend to think that, no lah, this love of money is not me. It's all those very greedy people that scam people or that thing. And we think like, no, no, I, I'm not. I, I, don't, I don't have this problem with an excessive love of money, right? And we think it's not us. But actually, in deep down inside of us, we have all have a little tendency to love money to the point where it may usurp the presence of God. And what do I mean is, sometimes when we think of money, we don't say we love money, but we will say things like, yeah, I just need a little bit more money to put food for my children so that they have food to eat. But then you ask yourself, how much is enough? I need money because my children need to study overseas. I need to amass enough of money. So they need enough money, so I need to work hard. Career is important. And of course, I also want my children to have good education. So money is important. Let's be realistic, right? And we sang just now a song, Give me Jesus, that's all I want. Is that true? Is that true? We all need money. And because we all need money, and money is so important, I believe that is why Paul really needs to tackle this whole topic about the love of money. How many of us here, you know you need money? You need money, right? You need more money, right? It's, it's ever, we always need money, right? We need money to, you know, you need money to even run a church, right? Where you think that electricity comes from, okay? Electricity doesn't just shine, okay? Someone had to pay the electricity bills, right? So we need money for everything. So you cannot say, I don't need money. I just give away all my money. If you want to give away all your money and bless us, go ahead. But I, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we do need money. And because we do need money, sometimes we can get entangled with it. Sometimes it becomes a very unhealthy relationship with the money because we don't know where to draw the line. Like, how much is enough? Like, you know, you, maybe you say, no, I just need to put food on the table for my kids. But nowadays, we know if you want to have good food, you have to pay a bit more, right? So then you need a little bit more money. So a little bit more money just seems like it's never enough. So where do we put the stop of the love of money? Now, 1 Timothy 6, verse 5, it says, People of corrupt mind who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. Now, he was addressing, I think, the teachings. He was saying that, you know, this is more like the responsibility of the church leaders, right? Please, please, never, never exploit people. Like I mentioned, the prosperity gospels and all those things. So this is something that he's telling Timothy. But I believe that not just that. He then talks about people who want to get rich, fall into temptation and trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Remember I said that money is not just money, but it can move you towards gambling sometimes. Why do you think gambling happens? Besides the thrill of winning more money, gambling. Because there is a need for money. Bribery. Why does bribery happen? Why does stealing happen? Why do people steal? Why do people oppress other people, exploit the poor? Why? Because of money. At the end of the day, it's about money, it's about power. And, and people lie as well about money. And not only that, sometimes, not just sometimes, but a lot of marriages also, people fight because of money. Do you know a lot of marriages break down because of money? No, they're not, they're not crazy about money but they feel like we need money. And when there is money, financial problems in the household, the first thing you do is fight about money and without realizing it is about money, even though we say we do not love money. So we have to be very careful. You may not say I'm a lover of money. You may not profess that you are a lover of money, but you do have an entanglement with money sometimes that is more than healthy. And so sometimes it can lead us into harmful desires. And that's why it says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil because it brings forth so many other problems. And so uh, we're not saying that money is the problem. 
It is the love of money. Because money in itself is neutral, okay? Money in itself is neutral. You can, you can, now Paul is talking about money, but you can think about other things that you can substitute here. The love of your family, the work of your career, the love of your, your power, your love of anything. You can substitute that. And you'll find that if you have something that you love too much, more than God, it starts to lead you on a slippery slope. But then we have a problem, right? Because we all need money. We kind of want money. And so how do we get, get ourselves out from this entanglement? So what is the antidote? Now, Paul then says, what is the antidote? Um, not going next. Okay, and oh, sorry. And I have wondered from faith. He talks about how it goes, it goes worse and worse, right? From just from, from all kinds of evil, wanting money. And then eventually, it wonders from your faith. Because Jesus did say, you cannot serve money and God together. You have to choose one, all right? So what is the antidote? I believe the antidote is contentment. It says here in verse 6, but godliness with contentment is great gain. It's not just gain, it's great gain. Contentment. Now, I, I know that the word contentment is so important because without contentment, our relationship with money will spiral without breaks. Because when is it ever enough? When is it ever enough? When is it just a need to then actually becomes a one and a luxury and then we're just extravagantly spending? When does the love of money usurp God? The only way we can ensure that we're not going further is to have contentment. And that's why it says contentment with godliness is great gain. Now, we need both. You need to be godly and you need to be content. So sometimes, have you heard of people that are godly but not content? Very discontented. I, I, I would like to submit there that actually there's really no such thing as someone who is very godly and very discontented. Because I believe that if you are really, really godly and fully godly, you will be contented in Christ Jesus. So sometimes, I think in 2 Timothy, it actually mentions about how people have the form of godliness, but actually denying the power of, of God, right? So that, that's sort of that. So you, sometimes you see people um, serving in church, even people serving in church, or even leaders sometimes. You can be very godly, you go for the prayer altars, you come from the, you, you never miss service, great, great, you know, because you do need to train in godliness. But... In their hearts, they're very unhappy. They're very discontented. I uh, got to serve again. Uh. I uh, have to wake up so early. Uh. Why like that? Uh? And they're very discontented about everything. They're discontented about how the church looks like, the carpets, the lifts, and everything under the sun. It's okay to have a preference. It's okay to feel unhappy sometimes. But when I'm talking about discontentment, I'm talking about there's a seed in it where you're really not happy. And it comes to the point, if you're not careful, you actually start being discontented with God itself. Like, how come God, how come you didn't bless me to be as rich as the other person? How come God, I don't have as many gifts as the other person? And you start to find that there's some sort of envy, sort of bitterness, sort of anger, if not with your spouse or your family or, or your, your loved ones, you start to even start being angry with God. And, and that's why I feel like it's tough. How can you say you're godly and not be contented? Right? And on the other hand, then you can say, oh, you know, I know a lot of non-Christians, a lot of people, not very godly, but they're very contented. Really? Are they really contented? Maybe they're contented, but for a season. Because I do believe that contentment without godliness is not everlasting and it's not eternal. So you see, a lot of people, they can be, you know, chasing their career and they're like, you know, actually, I didn't go to church up. Huh? Still okay, uh. family's still happy, i got family, I'm happy, and I'm very prosperous, uh, I've got enough. I, I don't ask for a lot of money, I'm just very comfortable, I'm very contented. But did you know, one day, that money can be robbed away. The people that you love, your family, one day, that begin to be taken away from you. A lot of things that we hope on to bring us contentment can be taken away just like that. Even your health can be taken just like that. You can be so rich, but if you're so sick, what's the point? So we need to realize that, yes, you, they, they can look contented, they can look very happy, but it is not eternal happiness and it is not eternal contentment. And so it is very important. That's why Paul says, you know, for the rich, you know, be rich in your good deeds so that you lay out a treasure in the eternal life because these treasures, they do not perish and therefore eternity 
Amen? So godliness with contentment is great gain. Amen? And as I mentioned, um, the enemy always used this contentment to really chucho and attack us, right? Discontentment can lead to greed. You know, if you're not happy with what you have, you start getting greedy. You start getting bitter, like I mentioned. You start getting envious of the other person. How come this person on Instagram always traveling, always eating the best fine dining, and we start having this covetous spirit inside us? It starts with discontentment. Or maybe unforgiveness. You're unhappy. You're offended. You know, you're discontented. Rebellion. You're against the church. You know, like, you know, the church never meet my needs. You know, they don't meet my needs. All these kind of things. We get discontent and disunity whether it's disunity in the church or disunity in yourself or disunity in the family. Like I've mentioned, a lot of marriages sometimes break down because of discontentment. Think of all the fights that you have, the, ang- the things that make you angry. A lot of it is because we're discontented with some of the things. So maybe today, you know, just think of yourself. You know, are there some things that you have been very discontented about? You must be very careful because without we say, you know, with godliness and contentment is great gain and you don't want to lose that great gain that God has called us for. So think about the things that you have been complaining about and start celebrating. I have this word that says, quit complaining, start celebrating. Quit criticizing and start caring. Because a lot of times, if you're too busy complaining, it's very hard to celebrate. Sometimes, I guess it's maybe, I don't know, is it Asian culture? But, you know, when, you, when your child comes back with education, with a list of A's, and then you will see that F, that fail, and you focus on that fail. And a lot of times, sometimes we are brought up that way, right? There's so many things to celebrate, but no, we must focus on the thing that is not right, not right. And then, it, you know, it just takes our entire mind. You know, we can't even celebrate anything. And, and we just criticize and criticize. And we have such a critical spirit instead of caring. Sometimes we think like, oh, but cannot give feedback, cannot give feedback. And we think giving feedback is criticizing and we think we're helping them, we're helping them. But it's not just about telling people what's wrong, but it's about caring so that you can journey alongside. So I do believe that sometimes we, we have become very complaining, very whiny, very murmuring, uh, and all these things is because there is a discontentment. And, and I believe that, like I mentioned, the enemy uses discontentment. Do you know from the very beginning, the Garden of Eden, let's go back, rewind all the way to the Garden of Eden. Do you know how the serpent tempted Eve? Do you know that God gave everything, the whole garden to Adam and Eve? He said, look, the whole garden belongs to you. Just don't eat the fruit from that tree. Shouldn't Eve be contented? Happy, right? You got everything, right? But why must eat that fruit of that tree? All the servant needed to do was to tempt. Don't you want to have the knowledge of good and evil like God? Just create a little bit of this contentment. And all her mind can think about is that fruit. I need that fruit. I don't care about all the other fruits. I need that fruit. And that's what the enemy uses. You know, it starts off from the Garden of Eden, the fall of man. And then what happens? After that, Eden, Eve gives it to Adam. And then Adam blames Eve for giving, and then they fight. That's why family break down, right? So you see, this contentment can really lead to so much. And the enemy is always trying to make us feel very uncontented. You turn on the TV right now, you have advertisements day in, day out to tell you, you need this to be happy. You need the new phone. You need the new um, exercise. You need this new organic food to eat. You need this new car always advertising this, trying to tell you that it's not good enough, you're not contented enough, you need all these things to be contented, right? So that's something that we have to fight. It's a fight because it's happening every day and it's not just the church pastor's fight, it is your fight too because every day we have to fight against the discontentment we have, right? So we need to fight the false teachings. We need to fight the love of money. Everybody say fight the love of money. And finally, we need to fight for what we were called for. What have we been called for? In verse 12, Paul states it. He says, Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. So you see the call, he's saying, take hold of eternal life. Now, I just want to make it clear, just in case some of you think, wow, you can 
you can take eternal life as if you can win your way to eternal life. I just want to make it very clear. The only way to have eternal life is through the Lord Jesus. It's through the blood of Christ. That's why John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son so that you and I may have, will not perish and have eternal life. So eternal life only comes from Jesus. So then what is it that I need to take hold of? You see, Jesus can die for the world, for each and every one, so that they may have eternal life. But not everyone will take hold of it. Not everybody will walk and accept Jesus and take hold of this eternal life. And it's not just taking hold of the eternal life so that I have a ticket to heaven. But it says here, take hold of the eternal life when you make your good confession, which is means you say, I am now a child of God. I believe in Jesus. Jesus is my Lord and Savior. You have confessed in the presence of many witnesses. I just want to highlight, taking hold of eternal life is not just a personal faith. It's just between me and God. No, it's not just between that. Yes, it's true. Your salvation is from Jesus and it's just between you. It's only you that can accept that salvation call. But there is also another part. God has called the church the body of Christ. God has called the Great Commission that the people around are the people that we need to witness to. So what are you called for? You're called to take hold of the eternal life that has already been given, but you are also called to do it in the confession, in the presence of many witnesses. Amen. So Paul then explains, what do you mean by take hold of the eternal life? Um, you know, can I just sit down and just wait for Jesus to give me that eternal life? Is this something that I can do? Is, is, what does it mean? And in 17 to 19, he says this. He says, Command those who are rich in this present world, not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, to do good, rich in good deeds, be generous and willing to share, and so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. That is what Paul is saying. So it says that if you want to take the eternal life, you got to do all those things. And a lot of us think like, okay lah, I'm a good Christian, I believe in Jesus, I come to church, kwai kwai, you know, I'm very good. But sometimes I do some charity lah. Sometimes I do some good. You know, when, when I got the time, la, when, when I feel like it, then I do good. But the Bible says, command is not a good idea. Command is, is very strong language that Paul uses. Command the people who are rich in this present world. How many of you say you are rich in this present world? You are, okay? You don't have to be Elon Musk to be rich. All of us, are you discontented with the richness that God has given you, your Lord that God given? All of us are rich in this present world, which means this applies to all of us, right? So we need to take hold of the life that is truly life. We need to do good, be rich in good needs, be generous and be willing to share. And I know that some of us say like, wow, quite tough. Huh? Why is it a fight? It's a fight because let's face it. Doing good is not easy sometimes. Doing good takes sacrifice. Doing good means there's a cost. Hey, you want to be rich and generous, you, you, you have to give out something, right? So some of us, we're like, wow, very, it's very tough. It's a fight for us. And that's why it says fight, the good fight. Because we know it's not easy. We, we're, it's, we're not naturally kind and we're not naturally good. Sometimes we have to discipline ourselves. We need to remember the call that Jesus has given us. And we need to know that part of your Christian life needs to be outward. It cannot be just your faith, my family faith, I believe in Jesus, it's, it's good enough, thank you very much. But no, the faith and being a Christian always, always entails a witness of people. It always involves an outward thing. And that's why it says, faith without action is dead. You can say you believe Jesus till the cow come home, but if there is no faith to substantiate your belief, it is as good as nothing. It says dead. And you know, our church, right? Our church, what is our vision? Our vision is influence, it's to build a strong, excellent and dynamic church, right? That's good, that's good. That's why that's our spiritual disciplines. But it also says to influence the nations and impact generations, which means that every Christian we have a call that we need to reach out to influence the nations. Now, if you're just living at home, doing your own thing, minding your own business, it's going to be very hard to have a voice in this world. 
It's going to be very hard to influence the world because you can talk all you want about your faith, but you have nothing to substantiate and to prove that you believe in Christ Jesus. And I believe that Christ Jesus, God, is very serious to all of us who are rich in this present world. He's so serious about us giving and being generous and doing good that I was actually reading this, this portion of Scripture and I was a little, wow, taken aback by what it was saying. But um, it says here, in Ezekiel 16, verse 49 to 50. Now, how many of you know about Sodom and Gomorrah? You know? And most of the time when we think Sodom and Gomorrah, we think, ah, yeah, yeah, because they, you know, they practice all the funny sexual perversion and all that thing. So we always just tag Sodom and Gomorrah to these things. But as I read Ezekiel 16, verse 49 to 15, this is what it says. Now, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. She and her daughters were arrogant, overfed and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. They were haughty and they did detestable things before me. Therefore, I did away with them as you have seen. Now the people, Sodom was not just, you know, they didn't just turn, Sodom and Gomorrah wasn't just destroyed because, you know, because of some sexual sins, but because they were arrogant. What did the word say? Do not be arrogant. Do not be, don't be unconcerned for the poor. Do good. And they did not help the poor and needy. And just in case you think, oh, this is only Old Testament. Huh? Now, now, oh, Jesus has won everything. I don't need, don't need to do anything. In the New Testament, this is what Jesus says. He says in Matthew 25, 41 to 43, in the parable of the goats and sheep, he says, then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. Jesus is very serious. He's talking about all of us. You cannot have a, a healthy Christian faith if we're not caring for the world, if we're not caring for the poor. I just want to assure you that Jesus and, and Christianity doesn't, is not against being rich. You know, the Bible says that in, in part of verse 6, it actually says it is God that gives you riches for your enjoyment. Just in case you thought riches is only give away, give away, you cannot enjoy your riches. You can enjoy your riches. But you must know that your riches is for a good cause and not just hoard it. And not just think, oh, this is enough uh, for my family uh, and all these things. This is for the generation. You have to sow into the eternal. And to the eternal is all these things that you do. We cannot say that we believe in Jesus if we don't do these things. And Jesus says, they, the, the disciples ask, when did we see you naked? When did we see you hungry? Jesus says, if you did this to the little, the most little, you have done it to me. And sometimes we do live in a very comfortable place. It's a good thing, right? God has blessed us. We're comfortable. We have enough. I mean, some of us, yes, we do have some financial worries and financial struggles, but in general, we have enough. We have to some extent, um, we're not on the streets, right? We're here. We have money. We have money to feed our children. And we are in a very, very danger of just being, trusting in the wealth that we have and not realizing that Gosh, we really, really need to buck up and wake up and really do something about our faith. Amen. Amen. And you know, this is the end. This is the end. I know a lot of you say, fight the good fight, right? It's so hard to want to do good. Tough, right? Imagine if you're already, you think some of us think, oh, yeah, give money to poor, get the rich to give. Lah. You know, the rich, lah. I'm not that rich, lah. I don't need to give. No, all of us are rich. All of us also need to give. But it talks about here, we, we feel sometimes like it's a fight, right? I'm already fighting about like, oh, yo, I don't have enough money for my kids. There's already a fight in me. It's so difficult to want to fight that good fight. And we feel like, we're well, so stressful. But I want to assure you that when you fight the good fight, you're not doing it on yourself, all alone. And that is why this is a very important portion of the, of the, of the portion of the scripture. You know, Paul doesn't just say, oh, you got to uh, give you some instructions. Uh, make sure you don't love money so much. Make sure you don't force doctrine. He says this very clearly in the midst of all that he's saying. He says, in the sight of God who gives life to everything and of Christ Jesus who while testifying before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame. And then he tells you what to do. And then he says, because God will bring about in his own time, God the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of a Lord, who he alone is immortal. And that Lord, then that honour and might be upon him. When you fight the good fight, don't fight it with your own strength. 
The truth is, if you fight in your own strength, I, I don't know how far you get. The only way we can fight the good fight is when we know that we have Jesus Christ who has already fought the good fight first. That's why I believe he could have talked about Jesus in so many ways. Jesus, so loved, the Lamb of God. Jesus, so kind. Jesus, the merciful. But instead, he brings in Pontius Pilate. Why does he bring in Pontius Pilate? He's talking about Jesus at the end of his road when he was doing his call. He was in trial in front of the Roman authority. Pontius Pilate was one of the end times when he was fighting for the faith so that if he stumbled, we have no Christianity, right? But Jesus did not stumble even in the midst of this trial. We have trials. You have trials today. I don't know what you're fighting. Maybe you're fighting some sickness, you're fighting battling this, fighting that, fighting family problems, fighting all kinds of things. But you know what? These trials, you can be assured that you can be triumphant and victorious because Jesus has already made the confession and He has already won the battle. And that's why when we sang just now, later, you know, we got to fight the battle, right? Sometimes you say the battle belongs to the Lord. Yes, the battle belongs to the Lord because the Lord has already shown you a forerunner, which is Jesus Christ. He has already done it on the cross. So you and I, when we fight, we're not just fighting with our own strength, but we're fighting with the knowledge that God is in control. Even if you're going through financial woes, even if you're going through financial, any family problems or any battle that you have, remember that your life is in the control of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Then you will be able to fight with conviction. You will be able to fight with courage and you will not fight a defeated fight. A Christian that is defeated cannot glorify God, cannot be a testimony to the world. If you're always defeated, you can't fight, you're weak. You cannot glorify God. And so, even in the midst of our own fights and battle, we always need to remember when we fight the good fight, we're fighting because Jesus has already won the good fight and that we serve a King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Amen. Amen, everybody. Hallelujah. I think God deserves. Amen. Fight false teachings. And the antidote is flee from false teachings and pursue godliness. You need to pursue godliness. You need to know the Word of God so well that you know what is false. And the times are not getting easy. It's getting harder. You need to fight, not just for yourself, but your children and your grandchildren, they need to know the Word of God. They need to be so secure in the Word that they will know when false teachings come their way, when they're indoctrinated in, in whatever, whether it's in education, whether it's in the universities or whether in what they watch or on Instagram every day. Sometimes they are more in the world than they, than they are in the Word. And so we need to fight that. And we need to fight the love of money because money is such an important thing in our lives and it's so easily to get trapped into the love of money that it robs you it makes you discontented and that's why contentment is the antidote for the love of money and finally fight for what we were called for you know most of our fights today is not just about wrong doctrines you know nowadays we're all very learned educated we can find about false doctrines we know what is you know those kind of things but what we are fighting I believe this generation is complacency we're fighting complacency and we're fighting comfort it's okay to be rich. But if you come to the point where you're so rich, you're overfed and you're arrogant and you no longer care about the world, it becomes a problem. That you no longer are fighting for what you're called for. We are called to fight. Fight the desire for our complacency. Fight, fight our carnal self where all we care about is ourselves. And yes, it is important. All these things. But more importantly, I do believe that when you fight, for what you are called for. When you are on the side and you're fighting the battle together with the Lord Jesus, all things will be added unto you. It says, seek first the kingdom of God and all things will be added unto you. Amen. Hallelujah. Everybody say, fight the good fight. Fight, the good fight. fight false teachings. Fight the love of money. And fight for what we are called for. And can I get you all to stand up right now as we worship together and let the song minister you to you as you listen to the lyrics. Amen.